Welcome to the Token Security Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Justin McCarthy from StrongDM. And I'm Max Saltenstall from Google. And we're hair. We're hair. We do have a lot of hair. Our hair helps product teams ship more scale. <laughs> All right, welcome again to the Token Security Podcast. This is Justin McCarthy from StrongDM. And today we're going to be talking about passwords. And we've actually got a guest who has thought quite a bit about passwords. So today we've got Troy Hunt, who is an independent, what did you say there? Australian <laughs> Independent Australian. Yeah, well, let's just start there. <laughs> and then uh, and plural site author. And like I said, definitely someone who knows a lot about passwords. So would you mind refreshing us on your recent history with the topic? Oh boy. How recent's <laughs> recent? How far do we go back? Uh, let, let's, let's go reverse chronologically. Just, just sure. to sort of people. <laughs> so, so last week at the time recording, so we're sort of late November at the moment, uh, I was writing uh, a couple of different things around passwords. Um, and actually, last week, because we're doing reverse chronology, last week I was writing U2F and other implementations of 2FA, which I, which I actually thought was just interesting for my own research as well, to sit down and capture things on, on blog. Incidentally, a lot of the blogs I write are not for you guys. They're for, they're for me, so I can get my thoughts straight. If it's useful for you as well, that's awesome. Um, so I was writing about U2F and, and 2FA and weaknesses and SMSs um, as 2FA, et cetera. The week before that, I was writing about the responsibility that different parties have in, in creating strong passwords and building systems that are resilient to reuse. Um, that upset a lot of people. We may get back to that. Before that, I was writing about why passwords are not going to die. And the TLDR of that was because everyone knows how to use them and they're terrible, but they work in such an easily consumable fashion. And then before that, like a, a, just a decade of <laughs> writing about the fact that people reuse bad passwords everywhere. All right. And then I believe you also have a, uh, you're associated with a reasonably famous destination for uh, thinking and exploring password reuse. Yeah. Have I been pwned? So the, actually, that's a good point. I should remember that because these were a lot of my time tends to go at the moment. <laughs> so uh, have I been pwned? We're actually coming up on the fifth birthday now. So that is a service which uh, initially focused around just being able to search email addresses. So which data breaches have I appeared in? And then over the last year and a bit, uh, it's continued to do that, but also added the ability to look at where, I'll, I'll rephrase it, actually not look at where passwords have been exposed, but which passwords have been exposed and how frequently. And that's actually a service which is used really extensively by a lot of big organizations to try and stop people from reusing bad passwords. Um, so GitHub's probably the most prominent, I'd say, that's using that. So you go and try and, and log into GitHub with a password that's appeared in a data breach somewhere and they'll say, hey, have I been pwned says that you've used this somewhere or someone has used this somewhere before. You might not want to use that one. That's great. That's a, a fantastic service. Uh, and. Uh... And I'm, yeah, I, I've definitely seen that on GitHub before. It's it's great. Um, oh, that you, that says something about your password too. Oh no no no! I was testing. <laughs> I, I, I've tested the GitHub integration. This <laughs> my backtracking there. Last one. <laughs> no, my, no, you, you're welcome. You're welcome to check out my passwords anytime. They're all they're all extreme. I have them all. 
All right. So many members of our audience are involved in, in building and shipping software. And so, so I think actually a lot of uh, that argument about your general skepticism about password killers, I think I would like to revisit that. You just mentioned that a moment ago, but, but if you could recap the argument on basically the ubiquity and the UX of, of the end user experience of essentially using passwords, uh, creating a skepticism about password killers. And, uh, and so I want to talk about sort of the sort of on the consumer side versus basically the security pro side. So w- would you mind again, just recapping the, the w- why passwords probably aren't going away? I, I think what we've got to talk about first at, at sort of a very macro level, and you, and you just touched on some key terms there, is the fact that passwords are part of a broader ecosystem, which is about getting people to create accounts on systems, use systems, spend money when they log into these systems and basically make the systems a viable business proposition. Uh, So, I mean, let's take sort of an e-commerce example. What's the objective? We want to get people to uh, register and buy t-shirts or whatever else it is that we sell. And we want to try and make that process as frictionless as possible. We would also like to not have account takeovers and get hacked and all that sort of stuff, but that is part of the ecosystem. And I, I think until everyone sort of recognizes that all of these things have got to work together to achieve whatever it is that, that is the broader objective of the organization, if, if we don't recognize that, it's very, very hard to, to make sort of good decisions for the ecosystem as a whole. So, you know, let's sort of start delving into what I mean by that. Um, passwords are, are not in a technical capacity at least a very good means of authentication (laughs) so we have so many problems with passwords we know that people keep reusing them we know they're weak we know that they're named after the dog in the year you graduated or whatever else it is Uh, we know people do a terrible job of managing them and we see time and time again just terrible incidents happen as a result of password reuse so password reuse at the personal level leads to massive amounts of account takeovers Uh, we, we see that time and time again Uh, password reuse even at a system administrator level which is still something that happens a lot leads to entire systems getting compromised and everyone else's passwords getting compromised and then their accounts getting taken over and you're into this just like nasty nasty cycle of of account takeover after account takeover so yeah there is a great big deficit in the column of of the technical efficacy of, of passwords but there's this other column, which is part of the broader ecosystem, which is the usability of passwords. And as terrible as passwords are, every single person knows how to create one and they know how to log in with one. And no amount of saying passwords are terrible technically is going to change the fact that they're the fastest, easiest way we have of people actually creating accounts and then logging back in. Now, this is what the, the sort of whole premise of the blog post was about. You know, why are passwords persisting? Well, they're persisting because of the UX of them. And it was also to, to sort of try and address the, the issue that, that is often raised with me, which is passwords are terrible. There is something else that we have built or someone else has built, which is a password killer. And the, the password killers, you know, I don't even want to sort of name names on them, but, but if, if we just talk about the patterns, it can be anything from where, where you know, instead of using a password, you're going to get an email and the email's got a link, or you're going to use a mobile app and point at the screen and there's a QR code, uh, or you're going to have a physical device or, or, or something or other like that. And there are cases where each one of these things has made sense and has gained some traction. But if we look at it en masse, the vast majority of the time you still have a password. Sometimes we have a password plus something else, such as a two-step or a 2FA sort of model, but we still 
have these passwords. Like nothing has come and killed them. And, and, and the simple reason is, is because their friction in terms of actually getting people to create accounts and log on is very, very low. And, and some people don't like to hear this. Some people get very upset with me because this is what some people do on the internet. <laughs> but it's like, look, here is, here's where we are. This is why. Yep. So uh, I, I very much appreciate that. And actually, um, I would like to contrast that Let's see if I'm if I'm thinking of uh, the general consumer population and their uh, and their ability to uh, use something other than passwords. Um, I, I think that's I think you make a great point uh, and a great argument for why we need to have something that's fairly universal and and achieves that same UX um, and sort of that's what will ultimately replace passwords. But it's not here yet. Um, in environments where we do control more of the parameters, so in a corporate environment, let's say. Um, and let's say it's even a security literate uh, corporate environment. If you're writing a prescription for that group today, what what would you expect to see? In let's say let's say I can let's say I can control it. What would you what ingredients would you expect to see? Well, I think the first thing to acknowledge here is that when we talk about a corporate environment, you're not trying to win business in the same way as an e-commerce site. Like I think back to my many many years in in the corporate environment, and they basically just went, "You're doing this." I said, like, okay, I guess I don't have a choice then. So like, no, actually, you don't have a choice. You know, like they could, they could be dictatorial, uh, and that's not to say they're dictatorial in a, in a way which didn't make sense. It's like, look, the organisation can prioritise, for example, security over usability because they've got a very different set of risks. Uh, so you know, look, a really good example of that is is things like. Uh, even back in the day, more than a decade ago, I had an RSA token, one of the little sort of black rectangular ones with the rounded edges. And every time I logged into the VPN, I had to use the RSA token. Uh, and, and look, that made sense because this is giving external access into the internal network. That's a, that's a very sort of highly privileged thing to do. Uh, yeah, these days, I think particularly things like U2F tokens, obviously the likes of YubiKey are getting a lot of traction. It, I would argue that it's, it is not too burdensome for a, an organization to spend, what's a YubiKey, like 40 bucks or something like that per head to ship YubiKeys and say, look, you're going to need to have this with you in certain circumstances. Now, maybe that's when you're authenticating via VPN, maybe some organizations want to go further and say, look, even if you're sitting at your desk, you're going to need to have that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then also you've got the ability to say things like, well, if you do have this physical token with you and it's something that, that we can ingrain into people to always keep on their person, maybe we can use a combination of like that and Windows Hello, which is facial recognition with IR, to authenticate. So we can still do 2FA, but suddenly you're not typing any keys. Mm-hmm. And type, you know, typing keys is, is kind of painful. I've, I've, I mean, I'm looking at a webcam now that's got Windows Hello built into it, and I love just sitting down in my chair looking at the thing and it just unlocks. So this might also be a case where we can, we can sort of combine the premise of, of, uh, of something that you, you have with something that you are and, and still get 2FA without passwords. Yep. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I think, uh, and that, of course, anytime you get into the biometrics versus the, versus the something you have versus the something you know, um, there's, there's always a trade-off. Uh, but I definitely like the idea that I, I believe that uh, combination of something you have and, uh, and, and maybe something like hello or obviously uh, Apple's facial recognition could, 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 be, a, could be a great experience anyway. 
Um, well, you know, and, and this is an interesting one too, because then um, <laughs> kids are people get, getting upset. <laughs> then people get very upset because they go, oh, yeah, biometrics. Like what happens if someone steals your face? Right. <laughs> how, how does someone steal your face? It's like this is not how any of this works. Um, or, or, I, just, I just, just need a finger. I'll just steal a finger. <laughs> or the finger. But, of course, mind you, if you buy any of the new Apple things, then you're not using fingers. Any, I, I have other issues with that, which are more to do with too much sunlight in Australia making face recognition hard. <laughs> First world problem right but it, you know then people will get upset about things like uh, particularly in the u.s the the um uh, I, I think it's the fourth amendment or fourth fifth uh, one of the amendments over there which basically says look you can be compelled to unlock things with biometrics and you know not pins and uh, i i think that that's sort of that argument's heading down the wrong path as well but I, I guess the point is is that every single one of these solutions then seems to open up a can of worms of other counter issues as well mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely one thing that I've noticed, um, uh, again, this is mostly in a, in a corporate environment, um, is that there's there's often a policy that may be created as a result of a, a compliance regime, um, a password complexity or rotation policy. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I see these policies, and I and I think, gosh, they're well intentioned, but sometimes it seems like they're doing more harm than good. Do you, do you have a take on on when complexity and rotation should be enforced? I actually think there's there's a really interesting narrative here, which is the way security changes over time uh, based on a combination of both technical and human factors. So that there's this talk I, I do quite a bit where I talk about the, the history of passwords on computer systems. And it starts with this photo of MIT in the 60s, which is believed to be the first ever instance of a, of a password on a computer system. And you're sort of looking at it and you're going, you know, here's this black and white photo of a guy in a room and the entire room is just computer. Right? It's like it is, the room is a computer and it's the first ever implementation. And you're sort of going, well, okay, what, what are our threats back then? Well, no remote access. So you've got to be physically present. Uh, you need a high degree of competency and knowledge about that system, which a handful of people in the world would have. There's no password reuse because this is the first one. <laughs> you know, There's not another place to use it. You're not putting your dog's name on social media so you can use that in the, in the, you know, all like all these different conditions. And, and we built this system where you had two strings in your head being the username and the password. And then you had two strings in the system being the same ones. And if they matched, you're good to go. And today it's still the same basic premise for authentication for a lot of systems. So two strings in your head matching the two ones in the system. And what that means is, is that we're using this system design sort of 50 years ago in an era where there was one and it was a room and you need specialized knowledge. And we're using it to, to the point now where there's millions of services and billions of people online and you can be anywhere and we're still using the same basic thing. So the environment has changed fundamentally. And, and even if we look back just a decade, a lot has changed in the space of a decade. So consequently, what, what's happening is our ideas of what constitutes the right balance of security and usability are changing as well. So th- this whole premise of password complexity sort of made sense for a while where we said, look, yeah, if we don't have password complexity, people are going to create stupid passwords. So, you know, we need complexity rules and this will make stronger passwords. And, and it was stronger by the mathematical definition of more character types and greater length increases entropy. Therefore we're good to go. And, and then what we've been seeing over time as we get more people and more systems is the human propensity to circumvent any technology control that gets put in place by doing something stupid. And, and what I mean by that, and this is with all respect to people doing things stupid, I've certainly had stupid passwords in the past as well, is we would do things like character substitution. 
you know, I'll, I'll just replace my E's with threes, you know, now I'll be right. <laughs> you know, they won't work that out. I'll put an exclamation mark at the end, now I'll be right. And hey, we've met complexity rules. And, and what's happened is, is we've, we've sort of recognized that the human element more and more in recent years. And we've started to say, well, you know, maybe we should use things like passphrases because a passphrase is something that an average normal everyday person can come up with. And and I often say to people like, yeah, look, just look around the room and combine a few words. You know, what do you get? There's a very, very high degree of uniqueness in that, but it may not have an uppercase character and it may not have a number. It's a very, very good password. It's better than like password with a capital P and an at symbol instead of an A, right? Uh, and and you've got to change the O to a zero because you've got to have a number as well. You know, this is way, way better than that. But now we're dealing with the fact that systems are still using this idea of complexity, which really just doesn't fit today's practices. And it's the same with password rotation. You know, we said, look, we, we, we got to rotate normally every three months because a hacker might get your password. And, and then when I do this talk, I, I sort of say to people like, what's going to, what are you going to do in three months? And, and like the audience almost in unison says, well, I'm going to add one to the end of it. <laughs> so, yes, you are, <laughs> because that's what I always did too. So, you know, you, you're going to do that. And, and then you sort of look at it and go, well, also, if a hacker gets my password, like, what are they going to do? Are they going to go, well, I'm, I'm busy. I've got family commitments. You know, I've got to feed the dog, like all the rest of this stuff. Or am I going to just use the password straight away? <laughs> it's just going to be the latter. So uh, it's, it's sort of a combination of recognizing the, the, the fallacies in the modern era of ideas that we had from years ago. And also recognizing that there's a lot of other things that we can do to improve security today. And we touched on some of them, the, the ubiquity of things like U2F, for example, um, 2FA via all sorts of different mechanisms. So we can start to sort of try and focus a bit more on usability and, and put other mitigating controls in place as well. I'm sure uh, I'm sure we all share this frustration when we, in our password manager, drag the, drag all the nice sliders all the way to the right, and then the government website says, no, you can't use that. Spe- <laughs> you can't use that character. Use some uh, special characters, but def- not that special character. Aren't all characters special? Come on. <laughs> uh, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that, too. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so um, so this the name of this podcast is the Token Security Podcast. So I think we'd be remiss uh, if we didn't talk a little bit about APIs and bearer tokens. So this is when machines are talking to machines, the passwords that they use. Um, so uh, so have you put much time into thinking about that? And I guess what uh, what's come up before in terms of the way, um, let's say, an API token might be similar or different from a human password. Well, there's a few things here, and I guess there's, um, you know, just in order of the the rate at which they come to mind, one of the big differences here is that when we're talking about API tokens, we're normally talking about machine-generated strings as opposed to human-generated ones, and and machines can do, if not genuine randomness, then at least pseudo-randomness in terms of actually creating uniqueness. Now, humans aren't very good at doing that because our brains don't work as well as computers. So, yeah, first off, we're going to get much more uniqueness in something like uh, an API token, we we then sort of have this challenge where it's like, okay, now we, we move to the next thing, which is, well, how do we manage them? Uh, you know, are we going to put them in our GitHub repository, which has got open access to everyone? <laughs> well, apparently some people do. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a problem. Are we going to, to have them uh, being sort of long persistent tokens or are we going to be sort of rotating and re-authenticating them? 
And, and incidentally, when we talk about things like bearer tokens, we, we, we do keep coming back to this thing as well about where's the right balance between sort of ease of implementation and, and security. Mm-hmm. Because if, if we get too draconian on the whole thing and we put lots of demands around like max out all the security things, is that going to make it harder for normal everyday folks who need to build against these systems to actually implement the thing? So we're trading off there as well. And I, I, look, I, I often sort of get to the, the point, whether it be with machine-generated tokens, passwords, or just about any other security decision, where I sort of say, look, if everyone has actually sat down and spoken about this and reached some sort of evidence-based conclusion, I'm okay with just about anything. You know, the, the thing that gets me is like, why are you doing this? Well, I don't know. We've just always done it this way. And then, look, I mean, a good example of this is Netflix has a minimum password length of four characters. And, and most people would go, well, this is just stupid. You know, you're not even trying. But then you stop and think about it and go, well, most people are watching Netflix on a TV. A lot of them are going to be authenticating to the TV with a remote control. Plus, it's Netflix on your TV. You know, this is, and I haven't looked at too many of their other mediating controls, but if, if they're not exposing like partial credit card data or other personally sensitive information, maybe the impact of a breach isn't that high. And the benefit provided to users is actually very high by being able to easily authenticate with a device that's just not a very good input device. So, so I guess the point is there, I'm, I, I can sort of rationalize any decision if there's, if there's evidence and thoughtfulness that's put into it. Yeah, I think that sounds, uh, <laughs> that, that sounds right. And certainly uh, watching, uh, watching Indiana Jones is not, is not, a. Uh, it's not a secret that's been seen before. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the one that would worry me. <laughs> there are others. <laughs> All right. Mind. So we do have some new standards on the horizon, sort of begin wrapping up with some, some hope. Um, can you tell us uh, any thoughts you've had? Just share anything about uh, WebAuthn and, and maybe how it's related to U2F and do you think it's going to work? So WebAuthn sort of has the, the promise of being an implementation where we can do authentication to web apps, not using passwords, but using other devices such as U2F tokens. And it's very early days, and, and, and you would probably know this better than me, but I think we've got support in Chrome and we've just got support in Firefox, right? I think so, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the only two browsers anyone uses anyway, so that's yep. fine. <laughs> I'm sure it will come to whatever the other ones are. Uh, but, but, but sort of the, the promise there is like, what if we could create a standardized way of doing authentication and then we could then implement that across different sorts of devices like U2F tokens? You know, that would be fantastic. And, and to the earlier discussion about here's why passwords are still alive, I suspect that the thing that ultimately does supersede passwords, we already have in various incarnations. It's just that none of them have reached a combination of accessibility to people, usability, and enough critical mass in large services. But, but imagine, let, let's say it's WebAuthn gets enough traction and uh, easily accessible uh, two-factor authentication tokens that, that are physical, like a YubiKey or some other U2F implementation, enough people get those because their banks ship them out or whatever. Maybe we all get biometric implants. I don't know, but there's like some critical mass where we get enough of these things. I think when we get to that point, it'll turn. And one of the joys about something like WebAuthn is it's not, you know, vendor A who's come along and said, I have got the password killer and everyone will use my proprietary vendor system. You know, a lot of these as well are, are being uh, are being very heavily protected. There's patents and all sorts of things around them. These are not the standards that we want to get traction. We want an open standard like WebAuthn, 
which is well supported, I believe, via the likes of uh, what is it, Fido Two? Um, mm-hmm. Yes, you probably know better than me. Yep. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. So, look, that's that is the great hope, and we just have to see where it goes. All right, so um, so we have a standard uh, coming on the horizon. That sounds promising. What about beyond that standard in general? Um, in twenty nineteen, are we gonna, are we going to be done? Is everything going to be fixed? <laughs> so I'm, I'm like literally looking at my calendar because it always creeps up on you, doesn't it? But I, I think we've got what five, six weeks to go until twenty nineteen. Yeah, we got, got a few weeks left, yeah. <laughs> so so by twenty nineteen, no, no, we're not going to have it fixed. To be honest, I don't think anything is going to fundamentally change in twenty nineteen either. It's it's a bit too early for web uh, I, I, You know what I, I see changing more than anything is is not so much killing passwords, but changing the way that we interact with them and this is you know, maybe a, a great insight to, to to leave you with but when i look at things like my my iphone so i i tend to cycle that each year when something else comes out and it's gone to touch id and face id etc i don't have any less passwords than i had before yeah people sort of say oh look your face id's come out is this going to kill the password i got my phone i pulled it out of the box and it said if you want to set it up, you've got to put in your Wi-Fi password. <laughs> you know, there's one <laughs> password. And then it says, oh, you probably want to restore from iCloud. Can we have your password for that? Ah, okay, there's another password. And then it says, all right, set up the biometrics. You've got to have a fallback position. You're going to need a third password. So I'm, I'm like three passwords in before the phone's even working. So I've got more passwords than what I've ever had before. But the difference is, is that I'm using them with much less frequency than what I ever did. So, so, you know, now I'm, I'm looking at my phone and unlocking it. I'm looking at my PC to unlock that. My laptops all have uh, 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 fingerprint readers on them. I'm touching on those. So I, I suspect that what we'll see over 2019 and, and almost certainly 2020 as well is just this increasing prevalence of other options to passwords for authentication, which don't kill them, but they supplement them. And they supplement them in ways that are very usable and in many ways offer a lot of security upsides as well. Perfect. That's, that's a great note to leave us on. All right. So, uh, so I'm going to thank Troy Hunt. Um, thank you for all that you do to improve uh, our thoughts on this uh, uh, and throughout the internet on Pluralsight and elsewhere. Um, and I very much appreciate uh, your time today for joining us on the Token Security Podcast. Well, hey, thanks very much for having me on. I really appreciate that. All right. Take care. Thank you.